0: Welcome to Beat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. A nice major league debut for Royals outfielder Drew Waters. He drew a bases loaded walk in the eighth inning to break a tie and help the Royals to a victory over the Chicago White Sox on Monday. So add another candidate to the Royals outfield derby for the rest of this season and heading into 2023. On today's Sports Beat KC, beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Sam McDowell and Vahe Gregorian discuss the Royals' options in the outfield and take a guess at what the starting outfield could look like next season. The show began as a Sports Beat Live. Let's get started. morning. Not a cloud in the sky, Kansas City. One of those days here in town. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, presented by the University of Kansas Health System. This is the weekly show where we talk Kansas City Royals with the folks in the media who know them best. And today, as we try to have every every Tuesday, Gregory Gregorian, Linworthy, and Sam McDowell. And, um, and we're going to talk Royals with you as well. Send us your questions and comments. We're going to spend the first part of the show talking about the outfield and what the, what the Royals uh, are going to try to do there for the rest of the season and then into next year. Uh, but first, if you happen to join us early, a little bit early, a few minutes early, you caught some of uh, a new show that uh, the Kansas City Star is putting together called Sports Feed. This was a 10-minute um, show little uh, that, uh, that included three segments. You Started with a, a great video from our, our artists, artist uh, Neil Nakahodo about the Chiefs. It segued into a, a story, a visual story uh, about the Nigerian player that the Chiefs uh, acquired. And Gorian, of course wrote the, wrote the column that inspired that story. Had a little World Cup information there and finally some Kansas State football recruiting. This is a show that's going to Uh, be produced by monty davis todd feedback and narrated by randy mason and you'll see it this fall uh several episodes so looking forward to that if you want to catch this pilot program it's on youtube just look up sports feed uh kansas city or sports feed kc so not to be confused with sports beat kc i'll have you know all right uh royals coming off a win And I know this to be true because it's on the TV screen right to my left here. I'm watching the replay of the Royals beating the White Sox, six to four at Kauffman Stadium yesterday. It was a single game, um, a makeup game. But uh, the Royals, uh, after losing three or four in Tampa Bay, came back and won the single game with the White Sox. Uh, Lynn, you were not there. Uh, You were working your way back from Tampa Bay. Uh, But um, uh, I want to. I want to start with uh, Drew Waters. He played uh, center field and got the game-winning RBI. Got a bases-loaded walk in the eighth inning to put the Royals ahead, five to four. So, Lynn, let's let's start there. Uh, Drew Waters, remind us how he came to the Royals and what do we think his role is going to be or his playing time is going to be in the final thirty-eight games of the season.
1: Well, Drew Waters was the uh, the player that they acquired in exchange for the um, the. Comp- compensation round, no, the competitive balance round draft pick from the Atlanta Braves. So that, that trade that they made, the one that you don't usually see involving a draft pick. um, They made uh, about a week before the draft drew waters was, uh, was one of the players. They actually have acquired three players, but he was the main guy. He was the headliner, the potential uh, center fielder of the future. Um, I believe yesterday he was playing right field, but um, I, I assume at some point here in the future, we'll see him. Um, you know, in center field, uh, I believe the plan is that he'll get some some time in all of the outfield spots. Um, but uh, when they acquired him, the the idea was this could be the guy. I mean, we all, I think everybody on this uh, show and probably a lot of people listening know that finding a, a full time center fielder has always been something that's been in the mind of the Royals front office. Obviously, Michael Taylor is holding that down right now, but um, that position has been a, a key for them. Something they focused on going back years and probably will continue to focus on. And they think Rewarders could potentially be that guy. Um, he's been off to a, a good start at AAA since being acquired. Um, and, you know, really this last couple of weeks, I mean, we, we saw it, uh, or at least we saw the first remnants of it in um, the, in Florida on the road trip, talking about just the way they're going to use the roster and start taking a look at guys in the, down the stretch here, whether that's the pitching staff or position players, guys in different roles. Um Different guys getting starts. I mean, this this last uh, few months, or I guess six weeks, or six and a half, five, whatever it is now, um, is going to be a lot of evaluating for the off and going into twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah, I know you had a conversation with JJ Piccolo about it up in on this past road trip. We'll get to that uh, also later in the show. But Sam and Vahe, you guys were out there yesterday and got to see Drew Waters. Major league debut. There's a little bit of backstory, isn't there, Vahe, about uh, um, uh, him getting to the ballpark. There always seems to be, right? Uh, There's uh, that's we always you know engage in that line of questioning about where you were when you got the call and how'd you get to the ballpark, and invariably there's a story involved.
2: It it's so true, Blair. It's almost always a fun and memorable story, and the thing you you want to hope is that it becomes part of. something bigger than that, than just the moment for the guy, but really um, it is almost, it is unfailingly something worthwhile. And we got talking in the press box uh, yesterday with Annie Rogers from MLB was talking about that. There's probably whole stories to be done about what do these guys even know when they get to the ballpark? Like there was a little mystery to the drop-off from the Uber (laughs) for, for Drew Waters, but before I go on this, I want to go back to one quick point that you brought up, and we'll come back to this point more broadly, uh, just about the idea of how they're going to determine playing time. Uh, as our friend and colleague Jesse Newell noted yesterday, I think Mike Matheny uh, used the word spreadsheet as he described that. And when Jesse tweeted that out, his next tweet was, Royals Twitter is an angry Twitter. Um, so it it just struck me that uh, – um, there's more more to be explored there, but also that it's hard for the Royals to say much right now that pleases anybody. Anyway, the question you asked me was just about kind of a, a little bit of a comic misadventure in some ways for Drew with not knowing the either being told or misunderstanding the starting time of the game and being told to be there at two when the game started at one um, problematic for your debut. And just the the vivid description he gave of waiting for Chick-fil-A from DoorDash and uh, taking it with him but not being able to eat it. And then somebody telling him, it's okay, you don't have to eat the cold Chick-fil-A. We've got a good spread here, Uh, the whole thing. It reminded me of the day we all enjoyed when Vinny Pasquantino got out there. um, And we saw his glove before we saw Vinny. And then Vinny came walking by in the dugout. And Sam McDowell and I, maybe, no, Lynn, I don't know if you were there, but we heard Vinny say, I have no idea what's going on. I keep that on my uh, on my desk as sort of my own <laughs> motto, which is all I need to say in this big burst of over-caffeinated uh, comment.
0: Cheers to that. Um, all right, you were out there, Sam, uh, as well. Um, it, it is kind of fun to hear these guys' stories, isn't it? Uh, these uh, the debut stories.
3: Yeah, I mean, and and Drew Waters is one of the guys that, uh, I mean, to heck with the fans, he's a guy we need to root for because he is a really good talker. Um, So he's one of our guys now. Um, But, uh, you know, what's most interesting about Drew Waters to me is he's sort of representative of what the Royals have been able to do with some minor league hitters as of late. And I think he got here expecting – um, you know, he, he came with a, an open mind, which I think was important. Like he basically, he gave himself up to drew sailor and, and his group and said, I don't feel good at the plate right now. Like, what do you guys have for me? And I think he was surprised to find out it wasn't swing mechanics because he said he's been getting in the box, you know, when he was with the Braves and their triple a it's it's Gwinnett, right. Lynn, um, I think it's triple A and Gwinnett and, and basically like thinking so much about his swing. And the way his, you know, his bat has to go through the zone and he gets the Royals and they're all about what we've written a lot about, particularly Lynn, it's about pitch hunting. And this is where you need to be looking for pitches and, you know, your swing got you this far, but here's how you get to the next level. And, you know, his numbers speak for themselves. Now, his, his strikeout rate is the one thing that oddly did not improve a ton with when he moved the uh, after the trade. His walk rate did, though. His power numbers have gotten significantly better. His OPS went from about 680 with the Braves to about 900 with Omaha. Um, So I think, like I said, it's a good story or a a symbolic of the story of the way the Royals have gotten the rest of this young crop, you know, from Omaha to, to Kansas City. And it's because they've revitalized the way that they view hitting in the minor leagues. And Drew Waters is just a, a great example of that. And God, if you can get your potential center fielder of the future for a competitive round balance pick, I mean, that, that that's a hell of a trade. And one thing, um, you know, talking about just what Drew Waters has done to minors,
1: um, it was funny, too, because you mentioned it, Sam, was the day they made the trade, and we're talking to J.J. Piccolo, the general manager, about – you know acquiring waters and one of the things that he said that he thought that they could help him with was it wasn't swing mechanics like you said it was actually swing decision i think that that phrase was one of the phrases that jj used that day was swing decisions as in you know obviously they saw that there was a lot of a high strikeout rate um and even you know you mentioned the power numbers i think i was having a conversation with somebody last week where i said you know we were talking about drew waters just talking about you know how he's been playing and i said i I know he's been hitting home runs. I said the only things that I'm looking at when I look to see how he's doing in the minors is just sort of the strikeout and walks because the, the that number was just so out of whack that you know in Gwinnett with uh with the Braves cause I think the ratio and it's small sample size right now with what he's done with the Royals but I think with Gwinnett the the ratio was almost like four to one as far as uh, strikeout to walk. Whereas now it's down to like two to one in the small sample with the since he was in AAA with the with the Royals. Um, and I know, you know, at the time, it sounded like they, they thought they could do some things with him with their hitting development people. It also sounded like they thought they might need to take some time with him. Um, but I think because he got off to such a great start and that he you know showed so much improvement, I think that's part of the reason that he's in the big leagues now is because they want to make some evaluations of him, and it could impact how they approach this off season. I don't think they've decided yet, but I think what he does down the stretch is going to decide if there's you know if that means that they might change their approach to how they're going to play the outfield next year or whether that means he he may be potentially looking at a, a spot um, on the big league club out of spring training. I don't think that was the necessarily the thought when they acquired him, but the way he's gotten off to the start, I think that's now in the conversation.
3: Yeah. And I think to add to that, it's, um, I don't think Drew Waters would be up right now if the Royals were in a different spot in the standings. I think it is what Len just classified. I think it's the, it, it's an evaluation period now for Drew Waters. I mean, the strikeout rate, I still think is, I mean, we we had these conversations with, with Nick Prado um, about, you know, he's striking out too much in the minor leagues to think that he's going to be able to translate his full success to the major leagues. I still think that piece is a little bit of a concern. Um, the walks that go with it are now different because I think he's working his way deeper into counts because of this. You know, he's, he's hunting for specific pitches and not going after pitches on the edge of the strike zone. I think a lot of people, when they hear that phrase, think, Swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. The Royals are also focusing on which pitches in the strike zone should you be swinging at, and sometimes that means taking a strike on the edge of the zone. And that's one of the things I think Drew Waters has improved most. That you want to see how he's going to evaluate that at the at the major league level, because obviously you see a whole different class of pitchers here.
0: I thought his the at bat that produced the walk that drove in the winning run was a terrific at bat. I mean, he he um, he. he Took a strike on the. I think he did. He work at three and zero, then three and one. Took a strike that was on the um, kind of outside corner to make it full, and then took another pitch. I, I may have my sequence sequence wrong here, but I know he took uh, he took a pitch that was a called strike that was right on the on the box on, on the line, and then his his ball four was just a you know j- just an inch or two below the box. I think it was a really good take on his part to you know to, to get the, the base to walk.
3: I don't know how Lynn's not going to correct you and say plate appearances because I know he wouldn't <laughs> let me get away with calling that an at bat.
1: <laughs> and and, and Swanee, Swan, Swanee would be be right on you right there with that. That there's no no plate appearance. I mean, there's no I bat if it was a walk. Swanny, you know for. <laughs> You know, however many years was making sure that he, he yelled that one out in the, in the press box for everybody. But um, and I, and actually, that, as soon as you started saying it, that was um, as we started talking about his, uh, uh, Sam started talking about his, um, you know, his, his plate discipline. I started thinking of that at back because I did see the, you know, obviously the second at bat, or oh, not the second at bat, but the second at bat with the bases loaded, the one that drew the, the walk that drove him to go ahead and run, the eventual winning run. And, um, that was, I mean, again, we're talking about small sample sizes. He's played one day in the big leagues, but again, those swing decisions. And, and, you know, I mean, I think in the first one, I think at that point was three and zero. so it was, I think it was three and zero. So, I mean, you're probably taking anyway, but I think that last take, that one that was, you know, a breaking ball that was right there, semi borderline, obviously clearly below, but one of those spots where you could see a guy taking the pitch. And I think it was one of those ones that started striking, went to outside the zone, um, if nothing else, it's a good sign. For sure.
0: Hey, let's uh, let, let's hear from Drew Waters. This was uh, after the game uh, on on um, on Monday, where he was uh, and he explains. Uh, I think this is where we hear his little adventure about getting to Kaufman Stadium.
4: It's hard to keep a secret. Yesterday, and I actually I didn't know I was going to be here at today's game. I was told to be here at 2, and then this morning once I got up, they are like, you need to come in now. And I was like, am I in the lineup? And they're like, yeah. So, I don't know. It's uh, definitely, I'm excited. I think I like how it ended up turning out because I didn't have much time to think about what exactly is happening. But... Um, you know, this is obviously a dream come true, and I'm excited to put on the Royals colors. How about how the way everything has turned out, coming from Atlanta to an organization that seems to have prioritized you here so quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where, um, you really just gotta trust the big man upstairs and know that he's got a plan, and just to continue to keep your head down and go about work. So. like I said, obviously I'm excited. I'm excited to be here with the Royals, and I'm excited to make my Major League debut with them.
0: Okay, is is it just me, or should I think that everybody who has uh, who might be on the cusp of being called up should know when the the team is playing a game? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be told it was a one o'clock game, but that's
2: that's just me. There, there was something a little funny in the in the whole thing because. The way he phrased it before the game, I I wasn't there before the game, but Sam McDowell was, my understanding is he said, somebody told him to be there at two. Um, What was unclear was whether uh, who that person would have been and why he otherwise would have thought that. I mean, the oddity of the game is, of course, it's a Monday, non-holiday Monday makeup game. You know, somebody probably default thought it was a night game, but uh, he did tell us after the game that he was the guy who used to lie to his mom about game time so he could be there earliest to be first in the cage. So I think he'll he'll uh, have a better system of uh, double-checking now, at least anyway.
3: A good beat reporter would find out, get to the bottom of this, and find out who the culprit is of uh, that lied to him about the game time. Well,
1: I mean, a guy who was there on the spot clearly should have done some reporting. I mean, you, you talked to him, you were there, you're the only one of us who was there before the game. So I don't know why uh, you don't already have this answer for us. seems like a missed opportunity to me.
0: Well, I think we should just um, call it a conversation and blame the former sports beat live participant on this, who now works in the front (laughs) office of the Kansas city Royals. So uh, with that little shot to Sam Mellinger, we'll go to a break and let's hear from the university of Kansas health system.
4: March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast.
2: We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why
1: would you go anywhere else?
0: Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Okay, we're back on Beat Live talking Royals with Lynn Worthy, Vaja Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and you. Send us your questions and comments, and we'll talk Royals with you. Okay, Lynn, I got this list here. Um Michael A. Taylor, Kyle Isbell, Drew Waters, M.J. Melendez, Hunter Dozier, Edward Oliveras, Nick Prado, Brent Rooker. Um, it's a lot of outfield can- outfielders and a lot of candidates to play the outfield uh, the rest of the season or into, into into next year. You you spent some time with J.J. Piccolo uh, last week and you talked about the the future of the Royals and into next year. And and you said earlier that this, you know, this season's going to be largely about, um, you're seeing these young guys play. Let's just keep it in the outfield right now. And, uh, it's a pretty broad question, but how might this play out, uh, for the final 38 games, Royals have 38 games left, a quarter of them against the Cleveland guardians, by the way, nine games left against Cleveland, but, um, how, how, how does this play out? What, what are the Royals' objectives with all these candidates? Oliveras, of course, is on the injured list, but um, the rest of them they're going to try to find playing time for, and they're all all relatively young. Um, what's the plan? As
1: of right now, I believe the plan is just going to be the rotate guys. Uh, I think some of the at-bats will come later in games. Um, one of the things that we saw last week, particularly in Minnesota and, uh, and ends in um, – uh, Tampa Bay was that uh, you know a guy might start the game and then when it got to certain situations guys like Rooker especially since they're so left-handed um, would come in in that pinch hit situation and that's where he would get his at-bats and maybe finish the game sometimes he would come in just for that at-bat and then they'd you know swap him out for a different fielder but um, it's it's going to be a lot of you know starting the game and maybe not finishing the game uh, coming in as pinch hitters and then different lineups each day um I mean, obviously, MJ, he'll, he'll get some at bats, probably a catcher if Salvi's DHing. ing. Um, the DH will probably also play into that um, with guys like, you know, uh, Pasquantino and Prado, assuming that, you know, everything checks out with Pasquantino's shoulder. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, um, just a rotating. Uh, it's funny, you know, you met, uh, I think Vahe mentioned earlier the uh, tweet that Jesse had because he used the term spreadsheet. But I think last week, Matheny used the term matrix as far as, and I think in that time he was talking, It was in reference to the pitchers because, um, you know, they had just brought up Colin Snyder and just sent down Max Castillo, who had just had a solid start, who's expected to be back when, you know, the 15 day period runs up. Um, And uh, there's going to be another roster group today because um, Jonathan Heasley is supposed to be making the start today. And right now he's not on the roster. So um, it's going to be a revolving door. We know that on the pitching side, but as far as playing time and just the lineup, it's going to be a revolving door. Um, you know, on the on the on the position sides, particularly the outfield, because Michael A. Taylor's still going to get time, and he's still your best defensive center fielder. Drew Waters didn't they didn't bring him up here just to sit him. They want to see what they've got in him. Uh, you know, again, MJ's bat's got to stay in the lineup. Um, Prado, if he's not going to be at first base, his his bat's going to be in the lineup some. Um, Kyle Isbell, you know, is another guy who's been one of the top prospects and and he's gotten more time than than most probably so far this season, um, just because he's been up probably a little bit longer. But he's another guy who, you know, you got to get some time for him out there. So um, I think, uh, you know, and Dozier is a guy who, you know. Again, they'll get some time at DH. He could also – they could put him in the infield at either first base or, or third base depending on, you know, who else they've got on the field. So there's a little bit more options with him. Um, but, yeah, it's going to just be a rotating cast of characters.
0: I think I think he should have stayed with Matrix over Spreadsheet. I just something about Matrix. I can't see Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne starring in the Spreadsheet. You know. <laughs>
2: You're right. Even if uh, it's just, you know, to kind of, you know, ease the, uh, ease the, uh, the, the follower, uh, at, you, you want something to sound a little more sophisticated. Um, 20 years ago, spreadsheet probably sounded pretty, pretty out there. But
3: It's going to be a word doc. It's going to be a word document in a couple of weeks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, All right. Um, so what, what, what's the ideal who wins? What's your starting outfield on opening day next year? Sam, what, why don't you, or Vahe, what what's, what's what's best case scenario here?
3: I think MJ Melendez, um, Drew Waters, and I mean, I, I think the rest of this year, those are the two guys that you want to see in a lineup every day. Um, you know, I think Kyle Isbell needs to play occasionally, but he's, I, I think, Because he started the year with them, I think we've seen enough of him um, to have a better idea of exactly maybe what you can get out of him. You know, Drew Waters is more of a question mark, I guess, is what I'm saying at this point. MJ Melendez is more of just a certainty as part of your future. Um, And then, you know, I I think even though he's struggling, Nick Prado's a guy you want to see at bats from, um, depending on. Like, like Lynn said earlier, where Vinny Pascantino's shoulder is, whether or not those are going to come at first base or those are going to have to come in the outfield. Now, the uncomfortable part of the that trio I just listed is two of those guys um, don't typically play the corner outfield spots. I mean, that's not where Nick Prado played until this year. It's not where Andre Melendez played until this year. And you're talking about a spacious outfield at Kaufman Stadium. It's not exactly a great defensive group out there, considering their lack of experience out there. But Played appearance-wise, those are the three guys I would prioritize just just getting at bats to.
2: Look, I think that's a great point. And one thing about those guys, let, let's stick with Melendez and Prado specifically. I mean, they're phenomenal athletes, right? We know that Prado's an unbelievable first baseman. But if the rest of this season's about anything, it's about doing all you can to see what X, Y, and Z look like. And, boy, does it give them a little different range of – range of motion, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, if you can kind of start to feel good about their capacities in the outfield while you still give them the at-bats. Um, one way or another, they're going to want to retain some ability to to move guys around just because there's a couple. Like the hinge of this in some ways is Prado and Pasquantino. I mean, is it ultimately, do you, if you have them both on your team, it, it, you don't want, I think, Vinny to be relegated to DH – you know, all the time. Right. So you got to figure out some ways there. And I think, look, we've been kind of clamoring for this, uh, uh, this aspect of the season, right. This is all about 2023 and getting every look you can and developing every way you can to take an approach into that. What I wonder is, and I, maybe I'm not thinking of something here. I mean, whatever the future of Michael, Michael A. Taylor is, they kind of know what they have in Michael A. Taylor. Um, I don't know what his time is going to look like down the stretch, but it it, it seems to me um, it should take a backseat to the time of all these other guys they need to see.
0: You think that could be the case, Lynn?
1: Well, I don't think it's going to be a um, – he's going to be on the bench completely. I think he's – I mean, he'll, he'll be in the rotation. I think it's going to be one of those things where he's not going to be out of the rotation. He's still going to be in there. He's still going to be – I mean, he's still – you know, your, your center fielder. Um, I think what the question becomes is uh, in the off season, um, like, you know, the question that you had asked talked about 2023. Um, If, if Michael Taylor is still here and that, um, you know, if they decide that Drew Waters is not necessarily ready to be your everyday guy, um, or if they decide that they, they want to hold on to Michael Taylor and he's still going to be here next year. Then I feel like he's probably going to be your center fielder. Now, if they decide that Drew Waters is ready, um, and they feel like they they can can make a move there, they can afford to make a move there, then maybe Drew Waters is your center fielder. But if not, then Michael A. Taylor, you know, the gold glover who's coming off of a career year offensive, or is in the middle of a career year offensively, really, um, it's trailed off a little bit down here, down the stretch. But um, gold glover who's having one of his best years, I think, you know, if you get decide you want to move him and get something for him, that's one thing. But if he's still here, he's your center fielder, I think, next year. Then maybe Drew Waters is your right fielder. Again. The problem becomes you're still trying to get all these other guys in the lineup. Um, the other thing that, you know, I think people don't necessarily want to consider is that all these young guys that everybody's excited about, the chances are they're not all going to be on the roster at the beginning of next season. I mean, as much as people might want to just sort of like push this forward, it's like some of these guys may be back at AAA. Some of these guys, you know, might still have to get their at-bats down there until they figure out how to short things out at the big league level.
0: You mean they can't keep eight eight outfielders?
1: Well, you know, you could try it. I mean, we have we have seen some outfield formations before out there during the season <laughs> this year. Um but uh yeah, it's gonna get a little little jammed. And I mean we you know, we mentioned it but sort of um put it off to the side because he's injured right now, but we're not really factoring Edward ours into this equation either, who at times when he was healthy and he's been hurt a couple times this year, but when he was, before he got hurt, was arguably the best hitter on the, in the lineup aside from Andrew
0: Benatendi at one point this season. Absolutely. Okay. A lot of options for the Royals coming down the stretch and heading into next season. And that'll do it for us today. Appreciate you joining us and big thanks to Lindworthy, Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, and Sam McDowell and to our producer. Monty Davis also a salute to the uh, university of Kansas health system for their sponsorship. And if it's Tuesday, it's sports beat live talking Royals. So we'll do it again next week. Until then, take care. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our sports beat Casey staff of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett tip of the cap to Linworthy, Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell for sharing their insights. Lots of good stuff today in my favorite sports page, The Morning Sports Edition. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com to see what I mean. Hey, you want to check out something else pretty cool? Go to YouTube and search Sports Feed KC. That's Sports Feed KC. It's a 10-minute program about Kansas City sports narrated by our own Randy Mason. This program includes features on a Nigerian football player trying to make it with the Chiefs. Kansas City's World Cup reaction, and how Kansas State football is making inroads recruiting in its home state. Again, it's Sports Feed KC. Check it out. More episodes will drop this fall. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Feed KC.